Hello and welcome to ecotimes.tv magazine podcast. Um, today we've got a special guest, Anna Cummins, and she is from 5dryers.org. I'm your host, Alex Strong. Anna, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Great stuff. So um, can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, Anna, and kind of what your mission is and what you've been up to um, with your site and, and kind of your research? Sure. So I've always been interested in sustainability since I was a kid. Um, but in the early 2000s, I heard about this issue of plastic pollution in an area of the ocean we call the North Pacific Gyre, um, more popularly known as the Garbage Patch. And I was fascinated. No one was really talking about this issue. I was in graduate school at the time. So I vowed to get more involved. I educated myself. I eventually did some volunteer crewing for an organization that was studying this issue. And I saw the issue firsthand. And it was shocking to me. Um, so then in 2009, my now husband, Dr. Marcus Erickson, and I decided to start a new organization to expand uh, the knowledge and the science on this issue to a global level. Because prior to um, our organization, Five Gyres, beginning, there was zero research about plastic pollution in the southern hemisphere. Um, but let me first explain quickly what a gyre is. So every ocean has this circular current system. It's like a massive vortex in the ocean. It's a natural phenomenon. But what's not natural is that all of the floating plastics, the disposable convenience culture that we all see littering our streets, winds up in these gyres, gets trapped in these circular current systems, and is causing big problems for marine ecosystems, for the wildlife that live in these oceans, and ultimately for you and I. Um, so that was our inspiration in 2009 to start Five Gyres. And uh, we've completed now a global survey on plastic pollution, looking at this level, um, you know, uh, looking at this overall as a global issue. And it's, it's just a massive problem. So... I wasn't aware of this um, until basically this year, actually. But um, I understand a young gentleman's um, come up with an invention to clear up um, or help assist clearing up the this huge plastic um, pollution problem we have in our oceans. Yes. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Anna? Um, so you're talking about Boyan Slot, and my husband Marcus has spoken with him many times. We have a good relationship with him. Um, we are, uh, I'd say, very skeptical of any cleanup efforts at sea. That being said, I think his technology could be great in a nearshore environment, in, in rivers and bays and places that are closer to the source. When you get out to the ocean, we feel pretty strongly, having done some 50,000 miles of surveying and studying this issue, that the solutions are best left upstream. And what I mean by that is the closer to the source of the problem that you go, the more effective your solution is, is going to be. Out at sea, this problem is so diffuse and spread out that the ocean is just not where we should be going to, to clean up plastics. But nearshore environments on islands within the gyres, on coastlines, and even better, um, all the way upstream to manufacturing and design and policy, that's where we think the real solutions are. I see, I see. So... Um what exactly is his suggestion to clear it up, Hannah? Um, he's created a device, and he's an amazing young man, very uh, resourceful, a very smart engineer that is going to be filtering, basically, um, kind of filtering plastics at sea. 
Um, you know, and, and, and like I said, that could work really well in marinas and ports and places where there's going to be a lot of plastic. But out in the ocean, it is so diffuse. Uh, your efforts would be better spent, in our opinions, um, cleaning up plastic on shorelines where it's just much more concentrated. I understand. Um, so, um, Anna, you you uh, you mentioned off air that you've um, just f- um, nearly finished a, a global research um, paper on on how big the situation and, and the problem that you know the the average person isn't aware of. Exactly. We've completed that research. Um, my husband is a scientist, and he's been working with seven seven other scientists around the world. Um, to compile all the data out there and put it into the most accurate global estimate um, currently on how much plastic pollution is is out there. And what we've come to is a really interesting finding. Um, That paper will come out on December 10th, but I can share with your listeners that number is roughly 270,000 metric tons of plastic from 5.25 trillion particles. So what that tells us, it tells us many things, and people should be looking out for this paper. We're going to be distributing it widely. But plastic isn't ultimately staying in the gyres. The gyres, in a sense, are like like a washing machine churning up these plastics into tiny particles and redistributing them around the world. Um, Now, why this is a problem is plastic particles in the ocean can absorb chemicals at very high concentrations, toxic chemicals like PCBs, DDT, These little plastic particles are then eaten by organisms like fish. Those chemicals transfer into the fish's tissue and other other organisms that are eating plastics. And that ultimately winds up in the food chain on our dinner plate. So plastic is is a carrier for pollutants transferring these pollutants into the food chain and ultimately into our bodies. So the bigger picture is that due to this plastic pollution problem that, you know, is somehow getting into our ocean is that we're actually poisoning the fish that we eat. So what what can we do, Anna? What, what's, what's kind of, oh, sorry, do you want to finish what you said? Yeah, I just wanted to yeah. share on a, on a personal level. Um, you yeah. know, I, I, uh, I actually did a body burden test in 2009 looking at the chemicals in my own body. And we found in my blood serum trace levels of PCBs, DDT, PFCs, and flame retardants. Um, I'm from California. We, we use a lot of flame retardants. Um, and most of us now carry this burden of synthetic chemicals in our bodies. Now, that's not to say that plastic is the only way they get into our bodies. We're surrounded by this stuff. But what the science is showing us now is that plastic is one way that these toxic chemicals are getting transferred into the food chain. That, that is, um, that is uh, shocking. So, Anna, what, what, for, for the listeners that don't understand the acronyms for, like PCB and all these other things, what exactly are they? Are they some sort of plastic chemical? Is, is that what you're referring to? No, sorry. Um, so there are two ways that plastics can introduce chemicals into our body. Plastic is made from um, natural gas, um, petroleum, and in order to make plastic into... Um, it's various forms, like to make it soft and pliable or to make it hard and durable. We add synthetic chemicals to plastic um, for water bottles and for you name it. So those chemicals can get into our food and water, and that's one way we're exposed. The other way is that chemicals that we use in our fields as pesticides, oil drops coming from our car, all these different chemicals in, in our society wash into the oceans through rain. And in the ocean, 
these chemicals are attracted to plastic. Uh, there's this perfect synergy between the two, and plastics are like a little sponge for chemicals. So those are the two ways that these chemicals can get from plastic into the food chain and ultimately into our bodies. Um. I'm, I'm guessing here, I mean, I'm not a, a doctor or a scientist, but um, I'm guessing these plastic chemicals that are, are getting into our food chain could cause cancer or similar, similar health issues. Yeah, exactly. A lot of these chemicals are known to be um, endocrine disruptors or hormone mimics. They can actually mimic uh, hormones um, such as estrogen. Um, you know, it's really difficult to, to know exactly how these chemicals affect the human body because this is such new science. But many of these chemicals have been linked to uh, miscarriages, to reproductive disorders, to various forms of cancers. So there's enough science out there to suggest that we should really proceed with caution. And we should really demand that the companies that make these products have, mm. have to prove that they're safe instead of us having to prove that they're, that they're dangerous. So, um, in terms of plastic, what what can be done with plastic? I mean, what, is there any other use? Can we recycle this plastic to to a, a, a positive situation here? Or, I mean, yeah. what, what can be done with plastic on on the bigger scale picture here? Exactly. So, I'm not anti-plastic. I'm speaking to you on a computer that's using plastic and cords, and I've got a cell phone. And plastic's an, an amazing material. The problem is that we're using it to make all these disposable products, like bags and bottles and straws. If we could close the loop, and by that I mean creating systems and designing plastics in such a way that it makes them fully recyclable um, and fully recoverable, then yeah. we reduce the problems a lot. But if you look into your streets, and I'm sure your listeners don't have to do much more than step outside and they'll see plastic garbage in their streets, and that stuff all eventually winds up in the ocean. If that garbage had some sort of value, if people were incentivized to actually recover it and recycle it, um, then we'd see a huge reduction in this problem. So it seems to me the bigger picture here, if, if we have, say, the G20 and you know all the other kind of UN nations and, and all the other kind of territories out there, if everyone um, agreed that plastic could only be used in, say, certain products like you know your phone and you know say bigger consumer items, and it couldn't be used in the um, items that are uh, what's it called disposable. Disposable, disposable yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, there's a law against it. And then, you know, there's, like you say, like a recycling option for all those um, products that have to be used with plastic. That could be, that is, that seems the perfect solution. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really, the problem or the solutions, I say, should really start with design and policy. But I do want to give people some hope. You know, what can your, your listeners do today? Um, you know, one is people can just be more mindful of the choices that they make. Instead of taking a plastic bag, bringing a reusable bag with them. Instead of taking a plastic water bottle, uh, using a reusable. So there are lots of small things that individuals can do just to reduce their plastic footprint. Um, but then on a, you know, on a larger level, people can get informed and, and pressure the companies that they support to make better products and pressure legislators to do something about this. And for example, I have a really positive um, example from California, where I live. It took many, many years, but California is now the first state in the United States to ban plastic bags. 
And um, that's really exciting. And what that means is that people very quickly uh, learn to start bringing their own bags with them. Um, So we're capable of of going back to the way things were. Um, And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we'll see more solutions like this. I, I was in Ireland recently uh, for a conference and um, in Ireland um, a plastic bag was uh, I think 20 cent uh, 20 uh, it was euros over there, so it's 20 cent and it, it um, you know it's like well that's a lot usually it's like 5p or 2p or something so um, that's a big deterrent as well but I think like on a bigger scale what it, we need these world leaders to to put the legislation in so that any disposable items cannot be plastic. Yeah. That, that, that is the bigger picture. But the other bigger picture question is, Anna, is one, how does this plastic get into the ocean? And two is... What what is the global macro picture with this you know like this other gentleman with his with his invention of clearing up this situation? Is there any other amazing inventions out there that can help clear us? But I'm curious how it got there. Okay, so two parts to your question: how it got there. Again, stepping out into your street and looking at the stuff just littering our communities. That's one pathway. Is that plastics? Uh, basically go from every continent in the world. It's the stuff we see in our streets. It's the stuff that blows out of um, garbage trucks. It, it's the fact that, you know, we've created all these products that have no value. Um, you know, you were talking before about incentives. Here in the States, some states have what we call a bottle bill. And when we attach, a, say, a 10 cent value to a plastic bottle, you don't see them in the streets. Um, you know, the, that increases the recycling rates astronomically when we can incentivize recovery, when, when you can actually put a price point on, okay, this, this bottle now is worth 10 cents, you see people uh, collecting it. But the chip bags and the little wrappers and all those things that have no value, um, those wind up in our streets. Roughly 80% of the plastic that we see in our oceans starts on land. It just it starts as litter. Um, but I would not put the burden on, on people. I mean, yes, people do generate litter, but the problem starts much further upstream with the way we design our plastics and the policies that we have around recovery. Right. So in terms of... Um clearing up this mess uh, that um you know our, our beautiful global nation has uh yeah. has has, <laughs> has implemented is i mean um other than um the gentleman we discussed he's he's amazing invention is there any other um people coming up with kind of global macro solutions to clear up the plastic problem you know there we get emails and phone calls from people all the time with the latest device to to clean up plastic out of the oceans and unfortunately as i said in the beginning the solutions are not in the ocean um the gyres will eventually kick plastic back out onto shore we're also seeing with this global estimate we just came up with that plastics are grinding down to a really small level where they're not staying in the gyres anymore that maybe they're being eaten by organisms, maybe they're sinking, they're washing back up on shore. But we feel very strongly that the the solutions need to focus on prevention, on upstream, and that there's really not that much we can do about the plastic at sea. It'll eventually wow. kick back out onto shore, and that's where people can do cleanups. But I'm, I'm, what you were saying earlier, Anna, in terms of it grinding down to nothing and then it gets in our food chain, like, if we don't... If I obviously the bigger picture is start at the source, but obviously the other huge element is all that all that uh, you know was it two hundred tons, two hundred thousand tons? 
270,000 tons. 270,000 tons. If that grinds down, like you say, to small particles and gets into our food, like all of it grinds down and we didn't clear any of that that, that up, then our, our kind of fish system is, I'm guessing, totally gone in well, terms of being no, able to I, eat it. No, I, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, that is a big number, but it's not nearly as big as I think people expected because the stuff is kicking back out. So it's I know it's really hard to hear that there's not a solution to the stuff that's out there. I'm, hold, mm. I'm holding in my hand a jar. It's the size of a maple jar. It's filled mostly with zooplankton, and it's got maybe one handful, if you were to cup your hands, of little pieces of what looks like plastic confetti. This is a sample we collected in the North Pacific Ocean over roughly two miles of ocean. So if you think about like a little handful of confetti sprinkled out over two miles of ocean, um, that gives you a sense for how spread out it is. Now try and imagine going out there with a net to skim that, you'd be removing tons of life of little zooplankton and krill and things like that. So our oceans are vast. Um, until you cross an ocean, you really don't um, get a sense for how just how big our oceans are and the fact that our planet is a water planet. Um, so, you know, I, I would I would say that, again, we just we really have to focus on prevention and source reductions and the oceans will kick this plastic back out. Um, I think that's where the solutions are. And what we tell yeah. what we tell people is that we invite the public onto our expeditions. We've now done. 13 expeditions across all five gyres. And the best way to really get a handle on this is to come join us. We've had scientists, artists, filmmakers, journalists, CEOs of companies, students and teachers come on board, participate in the research, and then go back and be ambassadors in their communities. It, it seems um, it seems everyone needs to get a message out there. And, I mean, is there any amazing kind of documentary films um, done on, on this situation? And the other thing as well, in terms of inviting public, which is, is great, is um, how, how, how can we get to invite the, the, the global leaders? Because the global leaders are ones that are going to put the legislation in place to, to um, like you say, start at the source and sort the problem out. Yeah, um, that's something that we're definitely discussing. You know, we have had, a, uh, for example, the CEO of a company that makes plastic products come out just to see this issue. And I would say this issue is fairly new in the grand scheme of things. It's just beginning to get onto the global agenda. Organizations like UNEP are starting to take a closer look at plastic pollution issues. So I'm hopeful, you know, it's really just been in the last 10 years that the science is getting out there more and that people are actively talking about solutions. But well, it, it seems to me that we just need to kind of get give a G20 head of PR people and then invite them on a plastic um, sailing voyage to see how bad the situation is and, and hopefully um, get some great documentary filmmakers to come and make some great documentaries, you know, to spread the word. Yeah, that's happening. Um, I wanna, oh, great. You, you asked for documentaries. So there's one fantastic one that came out um, in the last year here in the States called Plastic Paradise by Angela Sun. And it's a fantastic, very um, understandable and engaging look at that issue. Um, then closer to your part of the world, Jeremy Irons um, uh, made a film called Trashed that I just saw recently, and it's a fantastic overview of the issue. And then there's a group also based out of the UK that is working on a film that should be out sometime next year called Plastic Oceans. Um, and that, right. sh that should also be a very comprehensive look at the issue. 
Great stuff. Does that is are those films listed on your site? Um, um, they're not. I can send you a link to share with your people. But Plastic Paradise is on Netflix now, and people can find it oh, there. Oh, cool. That's great. So thank you very much, Anna, for coming on the show. And um, what's it called? Um, do you want to tell viewers best place to find you and social media and that? Sure, sure. And if, and if I could share one more really quick yes, thing. Yes, go Matt. for it. So, you know, we've done most of our research in the oceans. Um, a couple of years ago, we looked into the Great Lakes here in the United States, and we found a really interesting problem that has a clear solution. Um, so to not be too depressing, this, this one has a clear solution. We found a lot of microplastics that we trace back to personal care products. Things like toothpaste, facial scrubs, body washes, exfoliants are now using plastic microbeads to replace natural materials. The good news on this is that we were able to bring this to people's attention. There is a solution. We're introducing legislation to ban the sale of these products, and we would love for people to take action, sign our petition. Um, just a few months ago, Crest announced that they're going to phase these microbeads out. So there are solutions happening, and it just it's little by little. Um, and people can go to our website, 5, the number 5, gyres, G-Y-R-E-S dot org, to find out other ways they can get involved. That's amazing. Thank you very much, Anna, and um, look forward to getting you back on the show. Thank you so much for having me. 